This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual visits. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Welcome to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Littering, who's back after a one-card absence. John is out there on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. I'm at Jakeski52. Today, John and I will be making our fantasy picks for the biggest fights at UFC 235, headlined by two title fights, Bones Jones against Anthony Smith, Tyrone Woodley against Kamaru Usman, plus we got the debut of Ben Askren. We'll get to that all in a second, John, but it's good to have you back here. Before we dive into 235, uh, we missed you for 234, so I mean, obviously we had the disappointing cancellation with Robert Whitaker going down, uh, unable to see that awesome fight. We got to see Israel Adesanya on a pretty big stage, the pay-per-view didn't do too hot, um, but I mean... Overall takeaways from that, you can talk about Nganu at UFC Phoenix if you'd like. Uh, oh, the last couple of weeks, anything stand out for you? Well, you know, I think like you said, the 234 pay-per-view, you know, really took a huge hit um, when Robert Whitaker was forced to withdraw. And, um, you know, the low number is not surprising. It's about as weak of a pay-per-view card as, you know, you'll ever see the company put together. Um, but, you know, the main event was certainly interesting. Anderson Silva... Um, did a nice job against Israel Adesanya for a guy who's 43 years old. Um, he was competitive. Now, um, you know, I have to, th- I think we have to keep in mind the fact that Adesanya is essentially, um, the only, probably the, really the only kind of fighter Anderson can beat these days in the sense that he's just a pure stand up striker. You know, he didn't force Anderson to defend takedowns. He didn't do any of that stuff. So, um, from that point of view, Anderson certainly got to play into his strengths. But you know, Anderson did it. You know, did a good job. It was enter- it was an entertaining main event. You know, the rest of the card was obviously kind of weak, but um, the main event was good. And um, like you said, the Phoenix card was it was very interesting. Um, Francis Ngannou. Um, I know Kane Velasquez back. said he He's certainly back. is, and I know. I no, and I know Kane said afterward that he didn't get hit. Um, you know, his knee buckled, and that's why he went down. Um, that's a load of crap. Dude, yeah, he, he, no, he, I, he, I 100% he, agree with that. He got smoked in the clinch with an uppercut, and then the knee buckled. I'll, I'll he stand did. by that, yeah. And he was, um, he was trying to grab the ref, you know, like single leg, you know, when it was over, which is always, you know, one of the tells that you got popped. <laughs> yep, he but, probably just um, doesn't remember. <laughs> No, I'm sure he doesn't. But you know that this that is this is what you get with Ngannou. Um, he certainly has the power to um, knock out any guy on earth. Now I picked Velasquez in the fight, and I was obviously wrong. But you know I wrote in there that um, Ngannou has you know Ngannou is always a good play because of his, his power, and especially when you get him at 7,200. I mean, yeah, I after mean, the fact, it, it looks like a no brainer. But like, yeah, he yeah, cashed that in. I know a guy. A guy who can turn your lights out that quickly, 
should probably never be that cheap. But right. he, he's going to have problems. You know, he, we saw the problems he had in the Stipe fight after the early going. Um, and if he fought, if he fought or fights Daniel Cormier um, for the UFC heavyweight championship at some point down the line, um, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get Ngannou throwing bombs early, and if DC can survive, he, you know, he's going to win. He's going to take him down. He's going to tire him out, and that's going to be the end of it. But um, Ngannou certainly has the. I still think he's the scariest dude in the sport. Yeah, is that who? I mean, is that who you want for him next? Title shot. A lot of people are saying, give him another crack at Stipe, make him earn it. Stipe needs a fight. It's been a long time for him. Or do you jump him straight to DC and see what happens? DC's the clock's ticking on him a little bit. I know he wants to retire soon. I think you could do either. Um, I think I, I know. I think DC said uh, just a couple weeks ago that that whole timeline he gave for retiring is a little bit up in the air because he's been a little bit banged up. So yeah, you know yeah. it, that that's kind of changing. But I'd be okay either way. There's there's just there's not a lot of depth at the top of that division. So you know you can't really you can't really beat the company too up too much about any of the uh, matchups they make because they're really kind of rotating and cycling through the same, you know, four and five guys every time. Yeah, no doubt. And those other two guys we talked about to start the show, uh, they both have fights as well. Israel Adesanya gets a middleweight, interim middleweight title shot at UFC 236 against Calvin Gastelum, who is supposed to fight Robert Whitaker. That's going to be an interesting fight. And I don't see this as official official yet, but I'm pretty sure they're going to they're going to give Anderson Silva Jared Cannonier last I looked in Brazil. So a couple of good matchups to look forward to each of those. Silva at 43 still going strong. A lot ahead uh, in the UFC for the second quarter here of 2019. But, John, this is a card at UFC 235 here that we're going to break down devote the show to. It is exceptional. I look at this card. I, I saw a joke on Twitter about this. I look at this card the way Lady Gaga looks at Bradley Cooper at the Oscars. It's just I, I, I am I'm enamored and absolutely in love and can't wait to see all of these exceptional fights here. But we got to start with our main event. Light heavyweight championship, John Bones Jones, Anthony Smith. Uh, as you can expect, the Betty Nods here are heavily, heavily in favor of Jones after what he did to Alexander Gustafson his last time out. Jones are minus 750 favorites. Smith, come back on that. It's plus 525. DraftKings reflects that as well. Jones, the highest priced uh, fighter on the entire slate. 9,600 for Bones, 6,600 for Smith. Odds to finish are minus 750. So Vegas is screaming. Jones by finish here. Um, I guess, do you see that this happening? Maybe talk a little about his, his path, path to victory, the, uh, the, the path to get here for both fighters, and, uh, and then we can kind of talk about what type of exposure we'll have to these guys from there. You know, th- this is actually, re- you know, really interesting. And you're certainly right about what we saw John Jones do to Alexander Gustafson in his last fight. After so long away, after, you know, all the nonsense that went on in the cage and out of the cage, um, to step in after a year and a half and just really roll through Gustafson without issue was extremely impressive. And, um, you know, I don't, th- I don't I don't think there's any doubt. I'm, I'm sure we're both in agreement um, when you say that the only thing that really can ruin John Jones is himself. He, he's he's the best fighter um, in the world. He does everything well. Um, but, you know, he's obviously had all these issues. So if he's dedicated to the sport and keeps his head on straight, you know, he, this guy, you know, certainly has a chance to go down. And as it, seems, one of, it seems like that's what he wants to do here in 2019. He says, I want to fight three or four times. He wants to clean out the division before messing around and, and featherweight. And I, I don't think he'll look past Smith. He always says he's not going to look past Smith. That would be easy to do, I guess, but he seems to be back to focus, back to cementing his status as one of the greatest, if not, I mean, possibly the greatest physical talent of all time. Yeah, yeah, I certainly think he is the greatest um, physical talent. Now, obviously the whole family, you know, is terrific. His two brothers played in the NFL and um, you know, so he's obviously a great athlete. Um, To look at it from the other side, um, the fact that Anthony Smith is fighting for a UFC title in 2019 is insane in of itself. And what's even more insane is the fact that the guy deserves it. You know, it, this isn't one of those cases where they've just totally run out of options. So they just throw some guy in there, which we see all the time. You know, Anthony Smith has literally earned this title shot. He has won his last three fights all via stoppage. Now, look, Vulcan Ozdemir, Shogun Hua and Rashad Evans are not John Jones. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he was getting beat by Ozdemir. Let's not forget that. I mean, he was getting beat up and kind of came from behind in that fight. He was. Thus, the reason you see, um, you know, the crazy, you know, line and, you know, the crazy salary odds and all that stuff. But um, there are two things I will say in Anthony Smith's defense. Now, 
you're not going to find many people picking him to win, and you know, you and me aren't either. But there are a couple things he has going for him. The first being he is one of the very few fighters, and there are a few, but it doesn't happen very often. One of the very few fighters who has legitimately gotten better as he's gotten older. He, Anthony Smith will be 31 in July. But he has a ton of fights. He has almost 44 professional fights somewhere around there. So the guy's been in there. And once in a while, you you come across fighters who, as they get older and they face better competition and, you know, sometimes they train camps, you know, change camps and get new sparring partners and all this and that, they perform better. Another one, one that immediately comes to mind is Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson was inconsistent to begin his career. You know, he, he fought better fighters, better competition. And as he grew older, now Tony, whatever Tony is now, 33, 34, whatever it is, looks like a totally different guy. Once in a while, you find these guys who it just takes longer for them to find his groove. Now, that's not, you know, that's not either of us saying Anthony Smith is going to beat John Jones. But there are fighters who get legitimately get better as they get older. Mm-hmm. And that's the move my, from I want to point out the move from middleweight to light heavyweight seems to has, have helped him. Not such a tough weight cut. He's, he seems to be big enough for the division. And uh, he does look better in that cage since moving up. He certainly looks better, which brings me to my second point, which is a necessity for anybody who is going to beat John Jones and nobody. I mean, I know John Jones has a loss on his record, but nobody has beaten John Jones. Um, Anthony Smith has shown an ability to absorb a super union, a super human, excuse me, amount of punishment. The guy can absolutely be getting his doors blasted off. And he can still return fire and he can still hang in there. And that's a necessity in any fight against Jones because there's, you know, there's no way anybody in the world is going to come in and just steamroll Jones like that. You know, you have to be prepared for a five round fight that's going to go a long time in which you're going to have to eat a ton of punishment. Look at the first Jones-Gustafson fight. Maybe Gustafson won, obviously very close, but the only reason – Gustafson made it to the final bell to inflict all that damage is because he ate everything Jones threw his way. So I, so that is the biggest thing I think Anthony Smith has going for him in this fight. He has an ability to absorb punishment. And since he can eat a bunch of punishment, that's going to give him time to land off land, allow him to land offense of his own. I don't obviously don't think it's going to be enough for him to win, but you mentioned earlier, whatever, what were the odds on the odds to finish here? I know minus seven fifty. minus seven fifty. I don't I I would not be shocked if Anthony Smith saw the final bell. I really wouldn't. Now, he could easily see the final bell and lose, you know, I could see him seeing the final bell and losing 50 to 45 or 50 to 44 across the board. Mm-hmm. That could certainly happen, but I would not be shocked and I, you know, I would put the odds of, you know, minus 750 is a massive number. I definitely think Anthony Smith could take this to distance. I don't think he's going to win, but he has shown a superhuman amount to absorb punishment, and that is a necessity for anybody mm-hmm. who wants to have a competitive fight against Jones. Okay, so no doubt. So given his, uh, given the chances of this seeing the final bell that you seem to think are better than the odds indicate, um, would it be a viable DraftKings strategy to maybe stack this fight and use both guys? Because we're going to talk about upsets later on in the show. Uh, there are some reasonable ones on this one, but Smith is only 6,600, and that opens up so many other favorites in your lineup. I mean, if he, I don't expect him to get a takedown or anything in this, but if he can land enough on both, maybe get 30 40 or so DraftKings points at 6600 that's not so bad without winning um i'm not sure it's gonna go that long and even if it does that's jones will make let himself get hit that much but i mean is there is there anything there or do you just kind of stick to jones and, and go from there you could do it i i wouldn't advise doing it if you're the kind of person who just puts in one lineup because it's so inherently risky, and it's even more risky when you put you go when you add in the fact that Smith's going up against the guy who is probably the greatest of all time. You know, that's probably not the guy you want to do a stack play with. Mm-hmm. But if you're the type of person who's going to put fifteen, you know, eighteen, twenty lineups in there, it's not the worst idea in the world. And we, neither of us advocate doing this very often. I yeah. rarely advocate doing this. Yeah, you typically want to do it when there are two very high volume strikers in a five round fight. Those are those are the best situations to do it um looking at this i mean bones throws 4.43 or he lands 4.43 significant strikes per minute uh 
Smith, 3.49. He's actually got a negative striking differential. So not super, super high volume in that sense. So so maybe not. But uh, let me ask it a different way then. You know, you mentioned multiple lineups. Uh, if you're making 100 lineups, say you're going to throw the quarter jukebox or the $1 contest and you want to have more lineups and you want to play this mathematically a little bit, 100 lineups, um, how many do you think you'd put Smith in there, assuming that they're not both in the same lineup? Or maybe they are, I guess, out of 100. Less than I don't know, ten maybe less than that. Yeah. Maybe I, I was going to say like less than five. Even I was maybe going to give it three or four because I agree with you. I think Bones is the greatest of all time. You know, it's funny to me. GSP retired this week, okay, and a lot of and we have this whole greatest of all time thing. And the, really, the only thing in my mind that you can make a case for someone like that is that GSP's been clean his whole career, and John Jones hasn't. And that's going to cloud. That's going to make many people kick him out of the uh, of the conversation here. But when Jones is in the cage, he is the most physically impressive and best fighter that I've ever seen. I wouldn't be sitting in this chair recording this podcast with you if it weren't for John Jones getting me kind of back into the sport during some of my college years. You know, you can't afford crap back then, but I still found a way to scrape together money for pay per views then. And uh, yeah, so he's just he's the greatest in my in my opinion. I think he's going to roll over Smith. I think it's going to be a stoppage. Um, I think maybe they feel each other out a little bit in the second round. Bones to, or a little bit in the first round. Bones starts to land towards the end of the first round, then realizes in the second round, okay, I, I, these are these are the combinations that's going to work, and I'm going to go to work and get the finish. Uh, so uh, that's how I think it's going to play out. I would expect John Jones to be unanimous, and and for most casual players, and even you know super high players. Um, I don't really advocate much Smith. Now, again, there's those you're going to have 100 entry players and you need to have a little bit of exposure because I mean, heck, if Smith does the impossible, pulls a Holly Holm, you know, Buster Douglas type situation here and and finishes Jones, uh you're going to have a major major advantage in any GPP you enter because the ownership on Smith is going to be so so low. So, I think we're in agreement on this, John. Um Pretty much exclusively bones for me and moving forward, even Tiago Santos or anyone else in this light heavyweight division. I, I have a feeling you and I are going to be picking bones for the rest of 2019 and beyond. Oh, yeah, he's he's on the list. Um, you know, Demetrius Johnson was on the list, too, until he lost to Henry Cejudo. Mm-hmm. There are a couple guys in the sport who you just, you know, get the benefit of the doubt and, you know, you're just going to pick until they lose. You know, and everybody loses eventually in the sport. But, you know, trying to figure out the time when that can, when that's going to happen is, you know, extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, last but not least, I mean, both these fighters are 6'4", so that's okay, but then you have Jones coming in with an 8-inch reach advantage, which uh, should be able to help keep him at bay with a jab, and in addition to the entire striking arsenal he has, still training over at Jackson Wink, just an awesome guy. We can't say enough about him, but since we're in agreement on this one, uh, let's move to some more fights. Maybe we'll have a little bit more controversy as we get down the main card. Got to look at the co-main event here. Uh, it's a welterweight title fight, second title fight in a row now. A lot of times you mentioned this a few times when the UFC has two title fights, they kind of let go with the rest of the pay-per-view card. Absolutely not the case here. I can't wait to talk about the rest of these fights as we move on. But we've got Woodley versus Usman right now. Woodley, the reigning champion, has had some time off to get healthy. He's ready to go. The UFC elected to go with Kamaru Usman over Colby Covington in this opportunity. Here's how the numbers look. Woodley, 8,700 on DraftKings. Usman, 7,500. Woodley is minus 190 as a favorite. Usman plus 165. I have a feeling that might be a little bit of Vegas overcorrecting itself. Uh, in Woodley's last title defense against there until he was actually the betting underdog, but he showed you know what being a constant professional, skilled, experienced martial artist and, and how that can take you against someone who's just kind of hyped up a little bit. But now we need to look at someone like Usman who how much hype and, and skill he's getting. He's getting a ton of hype. I mean, you could hardly find anyone agree to fight him for the longest time. He's been such a dominant favorite in all of his fights leading up until now. This one's a lot closer than the main event. John, how do you see this one breaking down? This is an excellent fight. Um, this is one of those true fights where I looked at, you know, most of the fights, you know, obviously the, you get you hear, oh, John Jones is fighting Anthony Smith. All right, that, that that's a pretty easy pick right out the gate. This was not one, uh, for me at least. I ended up taking Usman in an upset, and I believe out of this is the fourth time in the last five Tyron Woodley fights that I've picked against them. I picked against them in both of the Stephen Thompson fights, and I know I picked Darren Till. Um, Woodley is underrated. He's underrated relative to the fact that 
he's not the most visually pleasing fighter to watch inside the cage. His title defense over Damian Maya a couple of years ago um, was a perfect example of a fight that Woodley won going away. But essentially, he didn't do much of anything, you know, and uh, that was the second Stephen Thompson fight, too, to be honest. The first one was the war that ended in a draw. The second one, five months later, everybody's oh God, this is great. This rematch is going to be back and forth and pretty much, you know, nothing happened. So this is interesting because Usman is totally, totally legit. Um, I know you mentioned uh, the Colby Covington thing. Um, I don't know what's going on there. That could be some politicking and you know all that stuff. But Woodley Usman says after is good. he wins, he'll he'll go ahead and quote take an easy fight against Covington. So we'll see how that goes. But there's quite the task ahead of him first. There is, and in Usman's last two fights, now of course this comes with a caveat that neither of his last two opponents are Tyron Woodley, but. Usman fought Rafael Dos Anjos in November, and obviously RDA, you know, former UFC champion, and Damian Maia in May. In those two fights combined, Usman landed 20 takedowns, 20, which is an insane number. Now, as I mentioned, Tyron Woodley's career takedown defense is north of 94%. So, uh, you know, Woodley's not going to be the guy who's going to spend the entire tight flop fight flopping around on his back so this is this is interesting I, I think you can go both ways here um Woodley's obviously the best guy that Usman has ever faced but what I what Usman did to Dos Anjos was extremely extremely impressive I picked Usman to win that fight but I didn't think he was going to win going away like he did he's constant pressure he sticks with takedowns even if he fails on his first few attempts. And that's something we talk about all the time. A lot of guys in this sport, you know, when you have your classic, you know, guy who goes for takedowns all the time, if a guy fails on his first couple attempts, they totally abandon it and get away from it and get out of their game plan, and it ends up hurting them. If Usman fails on the on the first and his second attempts, there's going to be a third and a fourth. If the third and the fourth don't work, there's going to be a fifth and the sixth. And that's extremely important when a guy is leaning on his biggest strength. Now, like I mentioned, Woodley is very, very hard to get on the mat. So, you know, Woodley Usman's not going to be able to ragdoll Woodley around. Mm-hmm. But, you know... Woodley, I would say, is more explosive, particularly in shorter spurts. Um, I would think Woodley probably has more pure knockout power. Um, That's fair. But we haven't seen a ton of that from Woodley. You know, obviously he knocked out Robbie Lawler a couple of years ago, um, but we haven't seen that. You know, the, whenever the UFC shows those Woodley packages on the head of the pay-per-views, they always show Woodley blasting Josh Koscheck with the right hand, knocking him into next year. But, you know, that was five and a half years ago. You know, so we haven't seen it. But part of that is who he's fought. You know, I mean, the, even the Lawler fight was two and a half years ago. That's how he originally got the belt in the first place. And uh, yeah, upset. It was an upset at the time. It was a real quick knockout. He took care of business here. But he's been through a lot since then. He has. And... He deserves Woodley deserves credit for totally taking Darren Till out of his game plan when the two fought in September. You know, I, I picked Till in that fight. A lot of people thought Till was rushed into the opportunity. I didn't think that was necessarily the case, but knowing he was facing an opponent who thrives on his Muay Thai, Woodley did everything he could to take that away. Now, Usman has looked so dominant in all assets of the sport that I don't even know if you can look at it and say, oh, you know, I got to take away his striking. I got to take away his this. I got to take away his that because he's shown shown such a good all around game. But, you know, this is just really for me just one of those gut feeling things. Um, I will say regardless of who you think is going to win, I think there's a the discrepancy in the odds is way too big. Um, you know, a hundred minus one ninety and plus one sixty five, and the discrepancy in the salaries is way too big for me too. Woodley at eighty seven hundred, Usman at seventy five hundred. Obviously, Woodley deserves to be favored because he's entering as the champion. So you know, maybe you put Woodley at you know eighty three hundred, eighty four hundred, and you have Usman at seventy eight or seventy nine, something like that. But um, I definitely think, regardless of who you think is going to win this, I definitely think Usman is the better DraftKings play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, I think we'll actually see higher 
This is a tough one because I thought we were going to see higher ownership with Nganu than Velasquez, and that wasn't at all the case. So that surprised me a little bit. But I think we'll see higher, maybe higher ownership of Usman uh, just because of the price and because of what he's able to do. I wouldn't be surprised if those betting odds narrow up as we get closer to fight week when these guys, you know, kind of stand uh, side by side. People will look and they'll see Usman three inches taller with a two inch reach advantage. That that'll start to swing the betting odds a little bit. Um, and 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 I very much agree that Usman is deserving of this opportunity. He's undefeated. He's beat a couple excellent fighters, fighters lately in, in Damian Maia and Rafael Dos Santos. But I don't know. For me, I got to go with the champ here, John. There's just a, We talk about the all-around game. We talk about him continuously being underestimated and him coming all the way through. And I don't want to discredit Usman's record in any way, shape, or form. But Damian Maia is probably a little bit past his prime. And, and Rafael Dos Santos is a... Uh, He's a lightweight, really, that kind of had to move up to welterweight to be a little more comfortable as his career goes on. And he got manhandled, but, you know, Usman against most lightweights would probably do the same thing. Uh, So this is really tough. I would have much preferred to see Usman Covington for the right to face Woodley to get a good shot at both of those. Because Usman, I mean, all these guys are excellent wrestlers in the welterweight division. We're going to see. And I don't think, um, I mean... You mentioned Woodley's 94% takedown defense. Usman's going to keep going for it, but Woodley, being an excellent defensive wrestler, I mean, he shot down every single one of Damian Maya's takedown defense. And, I mean, okay, Usman better than Maya. We've established that here with the head-to-head record. But I think Woodley hangs on to this, and I think on the surface, 8700 looks like a tough DraftKings price to pay. But I think you're going to be able to differentiate yourself in lineups by using him because I don't think the ownership percentage is going to be super high because people are going to think, well, those those salaries are a lot farther apart than what the odds indicate, especially as we get closer to Saturday. But for me, on my pick, the more I've thought about this, uh, the more I'm going to stick with the champ and, and go with Tyron Woodley in this fight. You know, as I said earlier, I'm picking Usman, but, you know, you bring it, you do bring up one good point where you just said Usman really is a you know, a big physical guy and what you said about how much bigger and how much more physical he was than Rafael Dos Andros was a terrific point. Um, you know, he really, obviously he won that fight going away, but he really would have been in good position there all the way through simply because of how much bigger he is and his size differential simply, simply, simply allowed him to, you know, dominate his opponent. And, that's a lot, you know, you see that a lot from John Jones. John Jones' size and his length allows him to dominate his opposition and do things that his opponent cannot do. And that advantage that Usman had in the Dos Anjos fight, even though he has a height advantage against Woodley, you know, Woodley's a tough, you know, Woodley's a big, burly, tough guy. He mm-hmm. He's not going to be able to physically roll over Woodley like he did Dos Anjos, despite the fact he's, you know, a little bit bigger. So I, I definitely think that's a good point. There just seems to me, regardless of who you like, that the spread here is a little wide. And I th- do it's gonna think it's tighter. I'm pretty confident in that. I think it is, too. Once you get once you get closer to fight, I think those odds, are, you know, are going to drop a bit. You know, once the I think public you- sees him eye to eye, that usually helps. That's not always an accurate indicator of who's going to win, but it does affect the public money. Yeah, Usman's my plus one sixty five now. You know, my guess is when this is all said and done, he's you know plus one thirty, plus one thirty five. You know, something like somewhere in there, maybe plus one forty, but it'll probably drop a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he opened at uh, plus one hundred five actually, which I thought was more accurate, and then it's actually moved the other way, and I think we're going to see it swing back. And that's yeah, it's very interesting here. It's it's going to be a very close fight. I mean, Tyron Woodley's just such an excellent counter striker that. I don't know. Usman better watch out when he's going in for those takedowns. Watch out for a knee because Woodley's just got some elite timing, and and I think he might work that into his game plan a little bit as well. And like I said, I mean, Usman's been tested RDA, Damian Maya, but you know, looking through the run before that, we got Emil Meek, Sergio Moraes, Sean Strickland, Warley Elvez, Alexander Yakolev, Leon Edwards, who that's a pretty respectable one, and Haider Hassan. I mean, not murderers row there necessarily in the welterweight division. I would have liked to maybe see him take on a couple more ranked opponents before getting this opportunity at least that would have made me feel much better about potentially picking him but i got to go with the champ here and i know there's a tough tough salary discrepancy on DraftKings, but it's one of the ways i think you can differentiate yourself um, now my early DraftKings builds i was playing around looking for a tough time for upsets a lot easier to do that when you got a 7500 guy instead of an 8700 guy but like independent of all that picking the fight I'm going to go Woodley, and I think I would be willing to bet that this will be pretty split when we get to our staff picks. 
Yeah, the, yeah, this is one of those, you know, that can really go either way. I, I regardless of who wins, I, I think you're going to see see a really competitive fight. I'd be surprised if one guy rolls over the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm right with you there here. But uh, enough on that fight. I think we made ourse- ourselves clear our arguments clear on that one. Uh, I got another awesome fight in the welterweight division coming up. Welcome to the UFC, Ben Askren. Uh, he's a guy that, uh, you know, I'm here in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, very, very familiar uh, with him and his academy that's located in here. And he's getting brought on to the UFC after getting tra- uh, coming to the UFC in a trade for Demetrius Johnson, kind of alluded to that earlier. Um, and he brings a pretty unique style. I wouldn't say it's unique, but it's effective, that's for sure, style of fighting to the Octagon. We're going to talk about that on in a bit here. But the numbers have Askren as a pretty heavy favorite in his UFC debut. He's a minus 280 betting favorite. The comeback on Lawler is plus 240. Askren, 9,000. Lawler is 72. 200 and uh, the odds to finish are plus 155 so vegas thinks this one might see the judges for the casual fan who doesn't know who hasn't watched askrin in bellator hasn't watched askrin in in one championship um what what do they have to know about him he's just a true world-class wrestler a former olympic wrestler ben askrin holds the ncaa single season pin record the guy is just a terrific, terrific wrestler. Constant pressure, constant takedowns. Again, not always the most visual pleasing thing to watch. You know, if you're watching a fight, you know, it's not those stand-up brawls that everybody loves. But Ben Askren is, you know, legitimately one of the very best welterweights in the world. And, you know, there was a really long time, you know, up until whatever, you know, six months ago or so, where it looked like this would never get done. And we'd, we'd never get to see Ben Askren against the top guys in the UFC. Um, but now we're going to get our chance. And, um, you know, Robbie Lawler is a really interesting guy to welcome to the octagon. Um, ben Askren is not a young guy. He'll be 35 years old in July, so um, you know I'm picking Askren. But if Askren rolls over Lawler quickly and without issue, um, you know I, I think this is a guy that you know you really got to try to get. Assuming he's not hurt and doesn't take too much damage, this is a guy who you really got to try and get back in there quickly. Um, you know this isn't a key, this isn't a 30 you know even a 31 or 32 year old guy. This guy will be 35 in July. Um, and if there's one thing, I wouldn't say I'm concerned, but if there's one thing to keep in mind about Askren is he hasn't really faced anyone of note in several years. You know, since he left Bellator back in 2000, I believe it was 2013, um, and joined 1FC, you know, over in Asia, he really has not faced. The best that the sport, and that's not, you know, not, not to disrespect the guys over there, but he has really not faced the best the sport has to offer. So, you know, maybe, you know, there's a little bit of, ner- you know, nerves about, you know, trusting Askren given the fact that, you know, he hasn't been facing top competition the last several years. But this is a guy that, you know, if you follow him and, you know, you follow his career and you follow his Instagram and Twitter and training and all that, this guy just lives, eats, and breathes this sport. Um, you know, constantly just lives the sport. Um, no shortcuts in training. Um, a Rufus Sport product in Milwaukee, and a guy who you know is really, I think, could be fighting for a UFC title within the next twelve months. I think he's that good. Now, Robbie Lawler on the other side, you know, is really interesting because Lawler's certainly on the back half of his career, um, and. Robbie's always been a guy that gets hit that gets hit hit a lot, you know. When you you know you stand and trade like he does, he he gets popped a lot, but he's not handling the pressure and the punishment as well as he did. The shots are starting to take their toll. The response time isn't as quick as it once was. And you know, if a guy's chin is going and he fights an aggressive style like Lawler does, um, you know, that's a real problem. Lawler's going to be thirty-seven years old in, in a couple weeks. Um, so any, any physical, you know, deficiency where the reaction time is dropping is a big, big problem. Uh, you know, I don't think Lawler's done, you know, there's some guys, no, there's some guys, you know, who are running who are still running out there where you can say, all right, you know, enough, you know, we don't need to see this anymore. I'm not putting Lawler in that boat, but the fact he's been gone for about 15 months, I, I don't think that's a good thing against a guy like Askren, who's going to constantly come with pressure. He's really going to make Robbie work. And Lawler's career takedown defense is 
about 70%, 69%, which is decent. That's not a terrible number. But when you have a guy like Askren coming at you, it's like takedowns coming from Habib Nurmagomedov. Takedowns from Habib are different than takedowns from anybody else in the lightweight division. You know, Ally Quinta is a great wrestler. Facing takedowns from Ally Quinta is not the same as facing takedowns from Habib. And, you know, Robbie Lawler's faced a bunch of the best. He's been fighting the best welterweights in the world for years and years and years. But facing takedown attempts from some of these other guys is not the same as facing takedown attempts from Ben Askren. And I think we're going to see that. Yeah, yeah, I'm very much with you. I'm going to pick Askren, and I would guess that uh, it's going to be pretty heavily in favor of him when we get to the staff picks. Uh, It's tough with Askren. People go to fight metric or something to look at his stats. He doesn't have any yet because there's no UFC things, but he is an elite wrestler, and I think he's going to be able to put that to the test. You mentioned the Lawler takedown defense. That's an issue. You mentioned the punishment that Lawler has taken over his last handful of fights. Everyone immediately thinks of the Lawler-McDonald war from back in 2015, which probably took a few years off of both of their careers, but Robbie Lawler was last in the cage over a year ago, December of 2017, against Rafael Dos Santos, who we talked about, former lightweight, moving up to welterweight. Lawler took 172 significant strikes in that five-round fight, according to Fight Metric there, and uh, that's definitely no joke. He was also taken down twice, so it's good that he's taking more time off in between fights. Um, he is, I mean... The punishment you'd think would make him more susceptible to knockout, but Askren probably isn't a real big favorite to get the knockout here. I mentioned the odds of finish plus one fifty five. Askren can still hit value on DraftKings, though. Uh, you know, they, a lot of times uh, some of our colleagues like to say the magic number is twelve x on DraftKings. It's going to be tough uh, with a nine thousand dollars salary here, but he's going to get a lot of points from grappling. He's going to get a lot of points from takedowns and advances, and uh, and Lawler is someone that is certainly susceptible to that. So I could very much see him creeping up or floating with 90 to 100 points even if it does go to a decision here so i'm taking Askren. i don't think he's a bad play on DraftKings either no he's he's not you know i'm like you said i don't think lawler taking time away is the worst thing in the world but 15 months or so is a long time you know may, you know seven eight nine you know okay but 15 months is a long time for a guy you know, who has been in some wars. And if it's just, if that, it's what I was worried about with Donald Cerrone and, you know, it proved to be false. If, you know, this, this, when these guys get older, if this punishment they see are seemingly absorbing, um, is really slowing down and doing considerable damage. It just, it, it takes time off, you know, time off their career and it slows down the rest of their game. They just, you know, the reactions are slower. The foot speed is slower. The return fire is slower. And, you know, Lawler's getting hit more than ever. Now, that's not to say, um, you know, the time off, the 15 months off, you know, could have changed everything. You know, he could have got his health back. But um, when a guy is, you know, about 37 years old and this starts happening, you know, consecutive fights, you know, more often than not, it's the beginning of a trend as opposed to some kind of exception. I got you. I got you. Real quick before we move on to the next fight, say Askren wins like we're both predicting. Do you give him the winner of the Woodley Usman fight, or do you make him fight somebody else first? You could theoretically give him the winner, and I wouldn't really have a problem with it. The thing is, he'd be jumping Colby Covington. He'd be jumping Covington, but even more so than that, if Woodley loses, I assume he's going to get an immediate rematch, considering how long he's been champion. The UFC throws guys back in to rematches nonstop all the time. Woodley's defended his title successfully like three or four times already, so yeah, he you know. He he would I would guess he would be one who would get an immediate and if, rematch. And, and if that happens, then they could throw Askren against Covington, and it would definitely be a wrestling heavy fight. But it would also be awesome to just see two elite people at their class kind of going toe to toe. So maybe that's the thing for Covington it, if he wants to take that fight. It it is, and plus, um, Woodley and Covington, uh, Woodley and Covington, Woodley and Askren have said they won't fight each other. Oh, I didn't. Um, I didn't realize that they said they. I know they've trained together in the past, and like they have a relationship. I and, believe they said they wouldn't. I believe they said in the past. I could be wrong on that. I thought they said they wouldn't fight each other. So there, there'd be there'd have to be some maneuvering for that to get done. Interesting. You know, I I would, I would consider that unlike I you know if Woodley if Usman beat, beats Woodley I would think you'd be far more likely to see them two go again and something like Woodley uh something like Askren and Covington mm-hmm. which I would definitely watch here but. absolutely yeah another fight we're going to watch here on Saturday night uh is a Bantamweight championship Cody Garbrandt it's been a while since he held the belt uh he's looking to begin his ascension back up the ladder he gets Pedro Munoz Garbrandt is 8500 as a minus 165 betting favorite Munoz 7700 as 
a plus 145 betting or betting underdog. Odds to finish on this one, a surprising minus 195. I didn't quite see that coming. Um, I guess for me, it's going to depend on if Garbrandt can bounce back after those couple of losses to TJ Dillashaw. And, uh, and I mean, Munoz is no joke either. He's uh, an, an excellent grappler that will try to get this to the ground. Garbrandt, though, has never been taken down in his UFC career. John, how do you see this one playing out? Pretty much like you said, um, Munoz is going to have significant advantage on the mat. Cody's going to have a big, big advantage on the feet. He has far more power. He's the far quicker striker. And Cody has a background in wrestling. So even if he doesn't do a ton, you know, as far as submission wise on the mat, he is very good at staying on his feet. Now, I picked Garbrandt in this fight, but I am not confident about it. And the main reason I'm not confident about it is, you know, say what you will about Cody's physical gifts, and he has a ton. But there are two two things that, you know, continue to worry me. One is the back injury that he dealt with last year before the second TJ Dillashaw fight. Um, you know, he, I believe he flew to Germany to get it checked out and everything. So back injuries tend to be things that linger. So is he fine? Probably, but that's just something that, you know, to keep in the back of your mind. And the second thing that worries me about Garbrandt is I don't think his fight IQ is very high. I think he kind of, which is surprising considering he trains with, you know, team alpha male every day, you know, it's probably the best camp in the world for smaller fighters. Um, but his fight IQ, it's just poor. He gets in there. The game planning seemingly goes out the window. Um, he fights emotionally. Um, look at the TJ, you know, both the TJ Dillashaw fights. You know, he's doing well. And he just, you know, he brushes Dillashaw, you know, the the, the got, technical aspect. He got aspect knocked out vanishes. both of them after, you know, not having a loss in the UFC. He did. And he just, it's one of the, you know, and this happens to a lot of guys. And if you ever watch UFC event, you hear the announcers talking about it all the time. When you have somebody in trouble, you know, you, you have to be patient. You know, you can't constantly go hunting for the finish because you get caught. And, you know, that's essentially what happened to Dillashaw, you know, back-to-back times. And that, uh, excuse me, Garbrandt back-to-back times. And that worries me. You know, he just, if something, you know, goes wrong in a fight and, you know, it's not going, you know, totally according to plan – Do you have the ability to adjust and, you know, go to plan B or plan C? And, you know, he fights a little too emotionally for me. And, you know, I don't think that's something that, you know, six months away or eight months away or whatever it is can change. You know, I think that it it takes longer than that. And, um, you know, he, if you go on just physical gifts, I think Cody should win this fight. But, um, like you said, it's, it's unknown how he's going to back bounce back from the Dillashaw losses and, you know, I'm picking him, but you know, there are some red flags here to be sure. Yeah. I couldn't agree with that analysis anymore, John. I mean, I think I'm going to pick Garbrandt as well because of the striking, even though oddly enough, I think it's, uh, it's actually Munoz who has a higher striking volume average and, uh, a slope. Garbrandt has a slightly better striking differential because Munoz is negative. But, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, I think I'm going to pick Garbrandt on this one. But let me tell you, now that I reserve the right to change this before publishing staff picks on Thursday, I'm definitely thinking about Munoz. This one's really close. And for that reason, I'm probably staying hands off entirely on on DraftKings. Because at 8,500, you pretty much need Garbrandt to get the knockout. And this is very... This is easily one that Munoz could try to stay in close and make this fight ugly and dirty box and maybe go to the ground and back a couple times and try to avoid the all-out striking matchup, even though, like we said, Garbrandt hasn't been taken down yet. Um, I also look at, uh, you know, Fight Matrix does this ELO thing where they give percent chances to win based on their algorithm for, uh, this is a super oversimplified version of it, but just kind of like a strength of schedule thing, almost like in college basketball, which I also do, by the way. Uh, but getting the MMA on this week, uh, they give... Um, in both their standard and modified, they give uh, Pedro Munoz the uh, uh, better than 50% chance to win in this one, which I found very interesting that the numbers like him a little bit better. Um, real quick, not always accurate or not always something to follow religiously, but definitely might indicate that the whole fight is a little bit closer than the odds and salaries indicate. But I'm with you, John. I'm going Garbrandt by a hair, but this is this would be if I... If we did a confidence pool where I had to make 13 fight picks and rank them in order of confidence, uh, the Garbrandt pick would be one kind of probably in the bottom two or three, just just not looking super confident about it. So I might, I'm going to try to watch more film over the next couple of days. Maybe I'll change my mind on this one. Uh, I do want to see Munoz, his last couple of fights again. Although, I mean, nothing too crazy to write home about wins over Brian Caraway and Brett Johns. I mean, he lost to John Dodson, but that one was pretty controversial there. So uh, I think we're in agreement with this one. We're both going to go Garbrandt, but not feeling super confident about it. Uh, we want to move up one weight class to the featherweight division. Now, there's actually, um, we're going to talk about the, the 
finale on the ESPN prelims. Uh, Tesha Torres and Wiley Zhang are going to be fighting on the pay-per-view card. Um, but I think we're going to go ahead and, and, and get the more recognizable names as opposed to the Lady Strawweight matchup. Nothing against them, and uh, it's going to be a really close fight. Uh, could be very interesting. But this Jeremy Stevens against Zabit Magomed Sharipov is, uh, is awesome. I probably butchered that name or didn't get the proper uh the, the proper uh accent on, on the right syllable but uh we'll just call him stevens and zabit from here on out zabit an 8900 uh favorite at minus 245 stevens 7300 plus 205 odds to finish are minus 125 here this is another one where we have a very young fighter handful of fights in the ufc is getting a pretty highly ranked and respectable opponent Pretty quickly, Stevens is coming off a first-round knockout loss to Jose Aldo. Had he beaten Aldo, I think he would have been on the verge of a title shot, given his run leading up to that. But he did not, so the UFC is not doing him any favorites in terms of a bounce back, giving him the most highly touted prospect in the division, arguably. Uh, how do you see this one going, John? This is fascinating. I mean, every Zabit fight is fascinating, simply because there's really nobody on the roster like him. You know, th- this is a guy who stands six foot one and somehow makes the 146 pound featherweight limit every single fight, you know, without issue, which is amazing. I mean, he doesn't seem drawn out on fight night, uh, you know, on weigh in night. He does, you know, all that stuff. He I think it's perfectly just his fine. body type. He's not super muscle bound, but no. he's very lean. No, yeah, he, he's lean. It, it's just, I mean, but it's it's crazy. And, you know, he gets a, a guy in Jeremy Stevenson who's Jeremy Stevens, who's really, really talented. And, Stevens is coming off a knockout loss to Jose Aldo in July, and um, for those of you who didn't see, um, he was on the MMA Hour, you know, whatever it's called these days, with Ariel Hawani the other day, mm-hmm. and um, Stevens said that he openly contemplated suicide following the Aldo loss. So, um, you know, it's crazy to think, you know, whatever, you know, eight months, nine months, whatever it is later, you know, he he's here ready to go. But it, Stevens always is a threat simply because of his power. Um, you know, it's not Francis and Ganu game changing power simply because obviously he's about half in Ganu's size. But, you know, Stevens hit pound for pound hits about as hard as anybody in the division. And that includes Conor McGregor. You know, McGregor is probably better, you know, with placement and combinations. But Stevens has legit one punch knockout power for a featherweight. And he's going to need it because, um, as I said, there's no fighter on the roster like Sabit. His length is one thing, but his ability to throw strikes from odd angles, um, you know, put together combinations, he throws a lot of kicks. Um, he's basically impossible to train for yes, because there's, there's just nobody there's like just, him. No, there's yeah. nobody like him. And on top of that, you know, just when you're trying to defend his, you know, his crazy striking moves and and everything like that, he can wrestle. He's 22 successful takedowns in in his four in his four UFC fights. So you're so worried about you know defending the combinations and all that stuff. Then you got a guy who has you know averaged north of five takedowns a fight throughout his his run. So you know Zabit, the UFC is all in on Zabit. You know yeah. we talk about guys who, you know when they're you know they first enter the company, you know guys who have the potential for future you know fight for a title one day. Zabit is one of those guys. This is a guy who's getting built up. Um, I mean, and they're putting getting, him as the finale on the ESPN prelims, so it's going to be free on the big ESPN. Of which, one of which the did, biggest, yep. what's going to be one of the biggest cards of the year? Which, so and it did phenomenal ratings. The ratings were uh, the Ngannou one two weeks ago were just insane. So it's doing well on ESPN. It's going to get a lot of eyes on it. It certainly is. And if he if he handles Stevens, because Stevens is pretty well known, you know, he he's been around a long time. He's fought a lot of talented opponents. And, you know, he, the casual fan, you know, might know Jeremy Stevens, probably more so than Zabit, honestly. Yep. So, you know, th- this is a chance for the UFC to get eyeballs on the guy. Um, it's eerily similar to what they did with Mackenzie Dern in her first fight. I believe they put her on the headline of the prelims, you know, mm-hmm. simply because it's free. And, you know, there are tons of people who, you know, like UFC and like the sport, but they're still not going to fork over the sixty nine ninety nine or whatever your local cable company charges for the show. So, you know, they watch the prelims and then, you know, they tune out and follow it on Twitter the rest of the way. So the goal here is to get eyeballs on Zabit and it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, both of us are picking Zabit to win. But, you know, like Ninganu, again, not to that level, but mm-hmm. a guy with Jeremy Stevens power 
probably shouldn't be so cheap. Seventy three hundred. Seventy three hundred is not a lot. I got you here, but but hold the horses a second here. Do we not? Do you not think in in a little bit that this is a big leap in competition compared to his first four fighters for Zabit? I mean, going from Brandon Davis, Kyle Bochniak, up to someone who was just a hair away from fighting for a title—that's a pretty big step up. In that, do you think he's going to be able to handle that just fine? It certainly is a big step up. And say what you will about Zabit, he obviously you know took care of his first four guys without issue. He got hit a few times in those fights. Kyle Bochniak got in his fair share of shots. So, um, you know, fight, facing shots from Stevens is a lot tougher than facing mm-hmm. shots from Bochniak. Yeah. But Zabit's chin held up well in all those fights without, you know, problems. He ate some shots, but, you know, he was never in any sort of trouble. Yes. Yeah, um, I'm not necessarily worried about the shots to the head, but Jeremy Stevens' leg kicks, those are devastatingly strong that we've seen a lot of times. Definitely not at the level of uh, Jose Aldo, or we didn't really get a chance to see that. But, you know, in the Choi and Emmett fights, he, he was landing those pretty well. I think there's at least a chance that Stevens can maybe take out that lead leg a little bit and make it more difficult for Zabit to to do the wrestling that he has been successful with, so, with over, the, over the chance. I think this one's a little bit closer than they said. I can see how you can take this from an angle where UFC Brass wants to showcase Zabit and give him eyes on him and get him some momentum here. But I'm not ready to count out Stevens just yet in this fight. I don't know if I'd pick Stevens outright and i'm glad i don't we're just going to stick to the pay-per-view for staff picks i'm glad i don't have to pick this one because i would be very tempted because of the fighter of steven's caliber and the run he was on prior to the loss to aldo but for me in my eyes it's a little bit closer and 7300 man i'm gonna at least give that some thought to DraftKings because that's pretty cheap i agree i i agree and i agree that steven's power makes him a threat it's just he's hard to pick out right simply because zabit is such a unique talent you know when you see a guy who can do things that really nobody else in the combo, or at least in his division at least, can do. It certainly makes you think twice. You know, it's one of the reasons that I think Israel Adesanya is getting a lot of play in the middleweight division right now is there's not really a guy we've seen who can combine his movement and his length and, you know, his in and out and his combinations. I think he's going to have problems when he faces a wrestler, but that's a whole conversation for our next podcast, John. We'll we'll definitely get to that here. But yeah, yeah, this one, this is, I'll I'll admit, this is one that I struggled with a lot, and I'm going to be very tempted on DraftKings to think of that. Glad we're not picking it because I would be pretty tempted to go Stevens. I just think there's a path of victory between the leg kicks, limiting the wrestling, and then possibly getting a power shots in in the later rounds because it's only the fifth professional fight for Zabit and Stevens has been fighting I mean Josh Emmett do who Troy Gilbert Melendez Hinato Moicano and Frankie Edgar were losses uh Moicano was a split decision I mean Hannon Burrell Max Holloway Stevens has been fighting the best and Zabit isn't quite there yet in terms of you know mutual opponents here he's looked dominant when given the chance, he's done everything that's been asked of him. But I think this is, you know, the, you hear there are levels of this game, and I think this is a step up. I think it's a manageable step up, and I, I certainly give him a chance, but I don't think he's necessarily going to run away with it like the odds and salaries think. No, it, 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 it's, this is a good fight, and, you know, I certainly advocate getting Stevens in there somewhere if you're the kind of person who makes multiple lines. Yeah, I mean, you might have to. These guys at 7,500 and below that have a chance to win, you definitely need to get a piece here and there. But, John, speaking of upsets, we've only got a little bit of time left here uh, to go. Uh, looking at the DraftKings slate as an entire card, the whole salaries here, um, I, I'm looking for upsets, guys, that I think have a chance. You know, we talked about Usman at 7,500. If you think he's going to win, that's a good spot in the lineup. Um, unlikely to use both Bones and Smith in the same lineup. That's a real tough one to get by. Uh, the numbers purely, um, I noticed Misha Serkinov. He's 7,800 and only plus 110. He's going up against uh, Johnny Walker, who's who's got a quick turnaround and is kind of taking the sport by storm, has a lot of momentum by him. But someone like Misha's, you know, pricey. I, I I think that that's a viable underdog play because there's odds value. Did anyone else jump out at you when making your picks for this card? I like that Serkinov thing that you play that you just mentioned. Um, Johnny Walker has really come out of nowhere, honestly. And um, uh, young guy, uh, thirty, he'll be you know twenty seven next month. Johnny Walker from Brazil um, has an American name, Johnny Walker, but uh, actually from Brazil. Makes, 16, me think of, makes me think whiskey. Yeah, sixteen career wins, thirteen of them via knockout. And in his two UFC fights, he has knocked out Khalil Roundtree and Justin Ledette in a combined two minutes and 13 seconds. He just knocked out Ledette in 15 seconds. 
you know, a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago in, in Brazil. Um, As a big favorite, he knocked out oh, Roundtree yeah. as an underdog. He, yeah. He's had he, 104 and 105 DraftKings points in his two fights. So Johnny Walker, six foot six, a lot of limbs coming at you. But again, this is a guy who's a pure striker. Misha Serkinov is a big, big, very, very strong physical grappler. Mm-hmm. So and he's faced know, the some of the best. I mean, the light heavyweight division is shallow after Bones and and Gustafson and, and whatnot. But I mean, Serkinov's he yeah he lost to Glover to share in Volcanoes. The mirror beat Patrick Cummins, beat Nikita Krylov, beat Ian Kudalaba. Uh, I think that's a pretty decent win. And it was on a force fight winning streak before dropping a couple there. So uh, no, he is, and we don't levels. know. We don't really know what um, Johnny Walker's wrestling game and takedown defense looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, so so maybe you take. Serkinov, you know, as a slight underdog and put him in your lineup and, you know, hope he can just, you know, we find out Walker's takedown defense against, you know, a good grappler is non-existent and he just, you know, he keeps them pinned to the mat. So, you know, that's that's the kind of thing you look for, you know, when you have, you know, you're trying to find some value plays, maybe something you haven't seen before. We, you know, we don't have enough information that makes it a worthwhile risk because, you know. The guys who are the favorites, you know, are favorites for a reason. They usually win. So, you know, you, you got you got to try and find that little different, you know, differentiation somewhere. Yeah, I'm gonna butcher these names, but the Charles Bird and uh, Shabazian fight. Uh, it's eighty two hundred eight thousand. Um, I'd like to get a little more film in on these guys for sure, but uh, Shabazian's a slight favorite, and the odds to finish on this are minus one ninety five. So if you hit that one right, no matter who you go with, you're going under the original average per fighter that you get, and then. Uh, maybe making some room there uh that yeah did you think at all about the sanchez gall fight is that something that gall should run away with at this stage i would think so i mean I, i'm kind of i'm kind of out on diego yeah i you know i think you're gonna see diego still pull an upset or two um kind of in the anthony smith mold we were talking about earlier in the sense that he just has the ability to absorb so much punishment that it gives him a chance to land offensively but you know, I I think Gal you know should t- should unless Gal you know just again fights foolishly because he knows he's in there with you know probably the most entertaining fighter of all time. I thought it was an odd call out to be honest for Gal, but hey, he got what he wanted. That's why you always have to have a name ready. Any final thoughts on this card before we sign off? It's great. You know, uh, this is uh, obviously, you know, every, you know, individual listener will have to make the decision about spending their own money. But, you know, this is one of those cards. If you have a, you know, if you you don't want to spend the 70 bucks or whatever they're charging now to watch it yourself, this and you have a few buddies who are, you know, UFC fans. This is certainly worth you and a couple of your buddies getting together and, you know, everybody chipping in 20 bucks at one guy's house or something. Or hitting it up at a restaurant. Yeah, this is. This is, you know, and as you mentioned earlier, the UFC has a tendency on cards where they put two title fights to punt the rest of the card. It happens all the time. They sure as heck did not do this here. This card is loaded from top to bottom. And, you know, we obviously don't know what the rest of the year is going to bring. But um, this is I'd be shocked if one all of a sudden done in 2019, if this didn't go down as one of the top you know two or three cards there's just no there's just project at least a half a million buys i would think so i mean there you uh, you can argue that there's off the top you know looking at this you can argue that there's one two three four five six seven like nine or ten fights that are better than anything other than the main event on ufc 234 yeah you know from like the gall sanchez fight onward so like you know like the third or fourth prelim until the main event you could make the argument, and I, I, you, so basically, like the start of the ESPN prelims till the end, I guess. Mm-hmm. You can make the argument that every single fight, the rest of the way, is better than every single fight on 234, other than what ended up being the main event between Silver and Adesanya. So that, that's the that alone tells you the insane discrepancy between the two cards. Yeah, I, I think you're going to see that with the numbers that this one's going to be very highly tuned into, and just an just an exceptional card. I can't and John, say that and John Jones put John Jones pushes a big number all the time too. Mm-hmm. Yep, he's going to get his pay per view points. Yep. yep, Jones fights the number goes up. So check it out, take it all in, hit your heavy bag, pray to the MMA gods that we have no cancellations. I'm going to pound on wood here just because I well, said fair. that. Hopefully, I didn't knock any mics loose there. John Jones will be out by tomorrow morning. Yeah, Jesus, thanks, John. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> your namesake there. All right, hey, we're going to wrap things up. Thanks again for listening to the RotoWire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. You can follow John on Twitter at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can follow me at Jakeski fifty two. John and I. Are 
are going to be back to you prior to UFC 236. Uh, it's an interim title fest, Holloway versus Poirier and um, Adesanya versus Gastelum, it looks like. It's, we'll see how those things shape up. Definitely remember to check out rotowire.com. MLB content coming up around the corner. Get our draft kit apps, all of our, our useful features to get you ready for baseball season. NBA, college basketball, DFS, NHL, all of that is still in action now. No credit card required, no strings attached. Rotowire.com slash free will get you your free trial. Of course, all the MMA content on the website is free, so if you want to check out John's article, you want to check out our staff picks, you want to listen to this pod or other podcasts our fight iq guys are going to be coming at you on friday night all of that content uh, can be accessed for free uh just go to rotowire.com slash mma you don't even need to be logged in for that but we do recommend the free 10-day trial so you can check out everything else we have to offer at rotowire.com thanks again for tuning in everybody give us a like rating review whatever what have you uh in the app store stitcher itunes any of those things if you can we very much appreciate that and uh helps us keep going uh, with this type of thing. Good luck with those lineups over at uh, UFC 235 on DraftKings, and thanks again for listening.